0: In this episode, let's learn about the challenges that female founders face. My guest brought up a statistic that women-led startups receive just 2.5% of VC funding globally. My guest is a venture capitalist who used to run a VC fund for female founders across Southeast Asia. Find out which country's entrepreneurs left an impression on her and what insights she has to share if you are starting a business as a woman. We talk about injecting diversity at different levels, including capital allocation, which is the investor level, and how diversity actually makes good business sense. Apart from running startups, we also talk about how to reduce the wealth gap between men and women through financial education.
1: Ready to pop the question?
0: Hello, my name is Andrew and welcome to another Chill with TFC episode. In this series, we talk to interesting people with relevant experience and insights to help us learn from their perspectives so that we can create the life we love and manage our finances well. My guest today is from London. She's been living in Singapore for five years. She's co-founder of Sophia and previously, she ran a VC fund for female entrepreneurs in Southeast Asia. Right now she's focused on financial education and literacy for women across Asia and she's building an ecosystem of women supporting women. Let's hear from Tanya Rove. Okay, so Tanya, tell us about your fundraising experience. What is it like working with venture capitalists? Because everything I know is from watching Shark Tank. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how much of that is dramatized, but you know tell us about it in the real world. You know how do you do pitches? How do you do fundraising?
1: So I fundraised as a venture capitalist as opposed to a found, you know an entrepreneur of a startup. So a slightly different perspective, but I think it actually feeds into one and the same thing. So I was obviously a female VC and looking to raise funding for my fund from all of the usual suspects that invest into venture capital funds. And, and some of those were institutional investors and some were um, development banks. And and then high net worth individuals, so a broad mix of target investors, I would say. Okay,
0: so you're the shark. You're sitting on the other side of the <laughs> table. I'm supposed to pitch to you to get money from you.
1: So yeah. So there's the funny thing, right? Is that well, on the one hand I'm sitting there being approached by entrepreneurs to give them money, and on the other hand, you know, I'd spend my morning doing that, and then in the afternoon I'd go and try and find money for myself to invest into these entrepreneurs, and I think until I became I don't think until I really you know walked that walk did I really appreciate how it all sewed together and so yeah I mean receiving lots of pitches you know 20 30 a day sometimes like you know a lot via LinkedIn and and social media and word of mouth um and saying a lot of no's to people is and I found that really hard actually (laughs) And you say a lot of no's, you say many more no's than you do, yes, let's have a conversation. Um, sometimes because the thesis doesn't fit, you know, what the, the sector that they're working in doesn't fit your fund's thesis. Um, the geography, we were focused very much on Southeast Asia. So perhaps they were in the US or Israel, etc. So there was a lot of reasons. And then, of course, there were a lot of reasons where you just can't see the... You can't see the rationale for the business. Like you, you're particularly. I remember receiving a business proposition for a pitch deck for um, for parents of children at um, kindergarten, and I was at the time a parent of a child at kindergarten, and I still couldn't understand the concept of the business. So I was like, "Oh, okay, this is." You know, this is not going to work for me as an investor. So you're you're saying a lot of no's and actually you have to prepare yourself mentally for saying a lot of no's because these people have put their blood, sweat and tears into their businesses and they work tirelessly and believe wholeheartedly in what they're doing as they should. Um, and you're, you know, in five minutes just saying, no, thank you. So you have to really work out how to say that elegantly and respect, respectfully. Um and and try and I always try to help wherever you know even if it's a no on the investment how how else could I help how could I facilitate something else that might be an opportunity for them um, so there, that was the one hand of of um, people approaching for for fundraising and and also it was always we were only investing into women founders so always female founders and then. Um, I'd spend my afternoons and evenings largely because dealing with uh, institutional investors um, overseas, so I had time zone to contend with, trying to raise capital for the fund. And that was the most interesting thing I've ever done professionally. And I learned so much from that experience, both good and bad.
0: So your fund is focused on investing in female founders,
1: Yes, it was. Yes, yeah.
0: Was it more in the UK because you're from London or was mm. it in Singapore? No, Southeast Asia. Southeast Asia. Yeah, okay. so
1: head- headquartered in Singapore. And um, so, yeah, supporting female entrepreneurs across Asia and also Hong Kong and Australia.
0: Okay, and so you were actually on both sides of the table, like you were explaining, because you also have to raise funds for your own venture capital fund. On top of that, you are. Receiving pictures every day, you're saying 20 to 30. And of course, this includes face to face emails, LinkedIn, what have you, right? And, yeah. and there's a lot of pictures every yeah. day.
1: Yeah, they came at you from every direction. I would wake up and, like, there, there would be, you know, 10 on LinkedIn and then the emails and then WhatsApp messages in South in Asia. And I don't know if the UK is like this anymore, but when I left the UK, WhatsApp was really our social connection and I moved to Singapore and it seems that everyone was doing business on WhatsApp. So the lawyer would WhatsApp me, the accountant would WhatsApp me, deals would come in via WhatsApp and it took me some time to get used to and perhaps the UK's evolved in that way too. I'm I'm not entirely sure but it took me some time that that was another platform that people could reach out to me on and try to get some money.
0: And I assume that every founder comes in Go wide, full promise, you know, really, really believing in their product. But you have to say no to most of them because there's only so much funds to go around, right?
1: Yeah, it's, I I found that really tough, actually, really tough doing that. Because like I said, people have put so much into their businesses and um, and it might just be that you're just not the right investor for them because of many, many, many reasons um, that that's possible. But yeah, it's really hard because you're you're trying and I believe that it's possible and I think one of the biggest pieces of feedback I received and why we launched a fund for female founders was because women were females that were approaching us were saying well we go out to the traditional VC ecosystem and we get no feedback you know we could go for two three meetings with a VC and then they just go cold they ghost them um and and they said, well, we don't know what we've done wrong, or how we can improve, or any any of this. So that was one of the things that I wanted to do differently in the fund, which was how can we communicate like really, really well and really respectfully um, and eloquently with mm. these founders? Because actually, it really matters. Because even if you're saying no and you do it with gr- grace, um, it actually you know, people don't mind that so much. It's ghosting people or just not giving decent Uh, feedback. We we don't
0: want to be ghosted whether it's in a relationship (laughs) or applying for a job or getting money from VCs, right? Yeah. And you're saying that even if it's not the right fit, you have to say no, not necessarily because it's a bad idea, but it's just not be the right fit for you. And what you do is that you actually provide feedback or some form of help other than monetary.
1: Yeah, yeah. Mm. I mean, it could be that you've just done three investments into female health and then the fourth deal comes to you and it's an amazing deal but you're okay well we can't put all our eggs in female health basket you know we need diversification so you know there's many reasons timing you might have just all invested all of your cash that you have you know it could be there's so many reasons why you know geography could play a part um it could be stage. they could be too far advanced they could be too early for where you you know the sweet spot for where your fund invests so many reasons um but what I did learn through through the fund is that there is a huge amount of female entrepreneurial talent in Southeast Asia and it's largely going untapped by the current VC ecosystem. So the opportunity is just huge right now.
0: Did you focus on female founders right from the start or what caused you to focus on investing in female entrepreneurs? So
1: it was... so. I think I said to you, when I came to Singapore, I started to make some personal investments, just me. Um, and they got me thinking that we could actually, um, or I could, sorry, I could do this on a more sort of um, full-time um, focused in a focused way and and maybe I could get some other people like me because Singapore's full of um, firstly you know women professional women um, with with cash both local and expatriates and there's a lot of expatriates here that are not working because they've come here with their husband's job but perhaps they were lawyers whatever you know doctors in the UK etc cetera, etc cetera, or wherever they come from and um, and so I was looking around and I was okay there's there's an opportunity here I think there's a lot of women like me that would be interested to do something meaningful with their money meaningful being putting that money behind women entrepreneurs. And so I yeah very quickly decided that women was to, were to be my focus purely because I thought untapped men opportunity and um, I just had as I mentioned earlier a second baby daughter and I already had a son and I was looking at her a few months old and thinking, wow, is she really going to grow up in a world where she only has access? Let's say, let's say her and her brother want to be entrepreneurs. There's 18 months age gap between them. Does, you know, they're going to go to the same school. They'll have the same opportunities. I will raise them in the same way does it mean that when they both graduate from university, one is gonna to say to me, Mama, I'm gonna be an entrepreneur, and I'll go, Fantastic Maximilian, you you go for it, you're gonna you're gonna do great things. And my daughter's gonna say, Mama, I wanna be an entrepreneur, and I'm gonna to have to look at her and say well, Adelaide, um, you know you're likely only to have access to 2.5 percent of all venture capital dollars, which means your your life is going to be incredibly difficult as an entrepreneur.
0: I mean, oh, is that a true statistic that you got from yeah the market? Okay, yeah, so it's that's 2.5%. a global statistic.
1: It's it's yeah. So we were around three percent. So yeah, females all over the world. You know, it's a global stat we're, we're receiving three percent, and then COVID hit, and actually women have been unfortunately, you know. Um, disproportionately affected. And so, yeah, I think we're probably around 2.2, 2.4% of all VC dollars go to all female teams. So, actually, I think in in Southeast Asia, our stats, unfortunately, we don't have a great deal of stats for for SEA. But I think, um, anecdotally, I think we're probably in a slightly better position, but marginally, not materially. So, um, I think that, it was, it was such an, it look, looked to me like an arbitrage opportunity.
0: So it's a combination of your own experience and of course, looking at your daughter, thinking about the world that she's going to live in. Mm. And if she were to choose to become an entrepreneur, well the, the odds are stacked against her if you look at the 2.5% as a statistic, right?
1: And not based on her abilities, skills, experience, just based purely on her gender.
0: You mentioned there's a pool of talent in Southeast Asia. Um, while we understand that the Southeast Asian market is very fragmented, mm. can you tell us from your experience, what, what do you observe? Like, Give us a few examples from different regions.
1: So Singapore is a great place to be for Southeast Asia because it attracts, or it did, I mean, I'm... Let's talk pre-COVID because hopefully that life is going to return very soon for us. But, hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> so,
0: Sometimes so I much. can't see the end of the tunnel, but hopefully, yeah, let's yeah. that's optimistic. I'm yeah. with you.
1: So I think that, um, you know, Singapore did a great job to position itself to be the hub for the, you know, entrepreneurial talent across this region. And so, um, we you know, we're almost lazy investors sitting here in Singapore because all of the best entrepreneurs from across Asia, um, across Southeast Asia, we sort of heading towards Singapore because money was here, investment was here. Um, so great amount of talent here in Singapore, not always Singaporean founders, you know, a huge variety of Vietnamese founders, Indonesian and Filipinos really stick out for me um, as fantastic founders. Like, and I'll just pull out Filipino for, for one. Um, they, the passion that i get from speaking with a filipino founder um female founder is just um it's hard to to beat in my early days when i came to to singapore i made quite a few investments into american founders um in female health space again and um i remember thinking wow there's something so unique about female American founders and it probably is the same for male or female they have a very there is no alternative to like to other than success there's no for failure isn't even I don't think in their dictionary and of course that gives them a very laser focus and, and more likely than not success but then I came across you know a lot of Vietnamese, Indonesian, and Filipinas founders. And I saw something very unique in them too. And particularly the Filipinas. So the, the passion and the um, determination uh, and the fire in their belly just was overwhelming. Even just from a meeting, you know, one meeting in a coffee shop, um, in a hotel lobby, etc. It was um, unbelievable. It just blew me away. And you almost, almost... Um, kind of lose focus on what it is they're building and focus on them. And you just think, well, wow, whatever they're building is going to be a mm-hmm. success because this is what they're carrying with them. Um, and if it's something that they believe in, which I think is half the battle for us humans, if we are super passionate about something that we're building, it's largely going to be a success because of that passion that you already you know, innately hold. So I definitely love backing the female founders from those particular countries, but the whole of Southeast Asia has got great talent, and that, like I said to you, it's untapped. So it's just amazing. I remember when I first launched the fund, um, I was uh, I came across so much criticism about supporting female founders. Why would you do that? You're just ruling out, you know, half the population. You know, there won't be enough talent. I don't think there's enough women in tech. Um, why do you think? Why would you invest into B rate? founders, because if the current ecosystem's not investing into them, it must mean they're not good enough. All of these, you know, reasons, you know, um, or it's very off-putting investing into women, you're going to find that really hard. You know, some really sexist, misogynistic comments, but also just some ignorant comments as well. You know, and I think that I batted those off one by one at the time, but it really did show to me that the opportunity is huge because it's because these are the comments from the current ecosystem that we have today and they can't see that opportunity. Uh, I I think that's changing, actually. I think I see a number of VCs sort of trying to focus more. But I think where the problem lies with VCs and attracting female talent and why we need female-focused funds is that if you're a female founder and you're looking at, let's say, one of the top three VCs in Singapore – and you're looking at their portfolio, there are no, you know, very few women, some of them don't have any women in their portfolio. Very few of them have women in their, in their investment teams as well. In Southeast Asia, 76% of VC funds do not have any women in the decision-making role, so in their partnership team. So if you think about it this way, if you only have one lens it's really easy to really just view deals in a one-dimensional way and and that doesn't include women because to be honest with you i think women i think women are quite new to to being innovators, to entering into tech, to entering into the finance world, you know, all relatively speaking, we are quite new. And so it doesn't happen overnight. It takes time. But you have to foster an environment that is going to attract women. So if you're a female founder, you're looking on one of these top three VCs and you can't see any women in the team, in their portfolio. How many women are going to start knocking on their door for funding? I, I think that it, it's not a welcoming place for women to go. So I think that the, the thinking is that there's very few female entrepreneurs out there that are investable. And I just think that that's inaccurate. I think that we're all just, we just largely have one lens and we largely look in one place
0: like your daughter have you as an example or role model if she were to choose to become an entrepreneur in the future right mom is an entrepreneur mom is a businesswoman and that's who i can aspire to be but what you're saying is that because we don't see too many female founders or female like companies right now and then therefore we're only looking at it through a very limited lens okay, tell us about this this lens that you're talking about you brought it out a few times like how limiting is it
1: I think that so I think the statistic is I think it was HBR said to the Harvard Business Review said that VC funds that have women in the invested in the partnership and investment decision making roles are 2.5 times more likely to invest into women entrepreneurs. And we only have globally speaking 2.5% of venture capital fund managers as women. So it's a tiny, tiny fraction of fund managers. So I think it's safe to make the correlation between the amount of funding that women receive as founders and that of the number, the the percentage we have of of female fund managers. And and coincidentally, the stat is almost identical. You know, it's 2, 2.5 percent. Um, globally, so I, I think it just comes down to common sense, right? You must have diversity. You must have diversity in, you know, we've proven that diversity in leadership teams leads to more profitability, for example. And you know, everyone is striving to have a more diverse team. And I did a LinkedIn post just today on this because New York Times wrote an article about men, male investors versus female investors, and they concluded that. And they use Fidelity Investments for their data sources. And Fidelity said that men, you know, sorry, the, the article said that the reasons men don't make great investors is that men have a lot of testosterone. And it means that they it reduces their fear and it it makes them very gung-ho about their investment decisions. And, of course, you know, that isn't great. It It affects people's judgment. And for women, you know, they're saying fidelity so we're holding on to our investments longer we're a little more risk averse um we're not as confident when we invest and there are pros to both right Mm. as well as these cons that I've just pointed out and so doesn't logic tell us that if we work together in equal measure that we bring out the best of both of us of each other and we end up with probably a much better result than just your lens as as a guy or my lens as a woman
0: Mm, so I'm, what I'm hearing is that, and correct me if I'm wrong, so let's say gung-ho versus conservative, and uh, the studies are showing that men are more gung-ho in nature, women are more conservative in nature in terms of their investments. And if we only to look at one lens, which is the gung-ho lens, not to say one is better than the other, there are pros and cons in both ways of doing things, but if we only look at it from the you know, gung-ho, ambitious perspective, then we might be missing out on the conservative part of your investments, which could be important as well to you know, preserve a capital or to make sure that your business goes on as you would want it to be and to make sure that your business goes on well?
1: Yeah. Well, it's actually important because actually one has been proven to be better than the other. Oh,
0: one has been proven? Yeah. Um, <laughs> Let and, me guess. You got it. Right, I got it. Oh, okay. You can tell us about that. Yeah, so,
1: so Fidelity said they, they surveyed um, their investments over a 10-year period, I think, and they concluded that Investments held by women were 0.4 of a percent, percentage point um, overall um, more um, profitable, more, um, you know, better investments than the male held um, investments. So being more conservative, holding on to your investments for longer doesn't make you a bad investor. And I think that's been proven as well. I think it was Goldman Sachs proved that female Private equity fund managers are you know doing better than male so but I really don't think that we should be i feel I feel like we're forced sometimes to point out these where well, we're doing better or mm. you're doing worse than us or you know though and it's not a man versus woman thing, but we do have to say, well actually you know being conservative, which is um, is specifically an investments, isn't a bad thing because overall we 're proving to be more profitable so perhaps if we work together imagine what we could achieve together
0: right when you have different perspectives coming together then they'll be, make a stronger case yeah. and increase your probability of success for a business yeah so your mission is to or well, you see a gap and then you're trying to close the gap how else are you doing it or how else, what other things there's, whether it's a society or is the VC pool of people in it, uh, what do we need to do to help close that gap?
1: Okay, this is an exciting question. Mm. So when I was trying to raise funds for the fund um, and going off to investors and saying, hey, you know, I'm a new female fund manager. I'm in Southeast Asia. And yes, I'm not Asian. Um, and I want to invest into women entrepreneurs. I mean, to, to say it blew people's minds was an understatement because I, you know, fund managers in Singapore, say, for example, are Asian, male, investing into largely men. Um, and guess what? I didn't take any of those boxes. Um, and I could just see this untapped, as I keep pointing out, opportunity. And so I, you know, kept banging my head against a brick wall there with the fundraising. And and everyone said, you know what, Tanya, we love what you're doing. Like it's so awesome. We think you're absolutely on to the right thing. Come back when you're on fund too. Okay. Yeah, that old chestnut. Um, and I, you know, kept saying, and politely at first, I was saying. Okay, okay, sure. Thank you, thank you. And then in the end, I was so frustrated. I was saying, well, you know, there won't be a fund to do because we need to get to fund one first, right? And so we need you to back. And actually, when you think about venture capital, what, what, is, what is venture capital? It's about backing the underdog, right? It's about backing companies, taking a chance. It's, it's You know, you're taking a gamble on these companies and that's what we needed, Um, And I actually, you know, went into the Christmas 2020 break, you know, really disheartened and frustrated that we were raising capital largely from high net worth individuals, but not any of the big organizations or institutions even those that were claiming that they wanted to support women because i think that over the last 18 months or so it's been or maybe even longer it's been very fashionable very trendy to say oh we back women Mm. um you know look what we're doing at such and such investment bank to support women but see very little money where their mouth is. Um, And so it was super frustrating because I remember thinking the stars are aligned and, you know, we are going to just get so much money for this fund because we're the pioneers in this region. Um, And I couldn't have been more wrong. Um, And what I went into the Christmas break with was thinking, okay, how am I going to, where am I going to get this money from that I need? Because I have all of this, going back to my point, so many... Female founders coming to me with great opportunities. Where am I going to get this cash from? And then I had a bit of a eureka moment when I realized that women were the massive untapped pool of investors. And I started talking to my friends, my girlfriends, smart, highly educated women in professional jobs globe, you know, a huge mix of internationals, locals, everyone, like just a a real cross section of people. And I realized that, yeah, everyone, I mean, all of the women that I spoke to wanted to do something um, to support women entrepreneurs or support businesses that they want to see in the world, like build specifically businesses for women. But what they didn't know was how do they do that? Where do they go to do that? And if you look at, you know, going back to the thing we discussed earlier finance has been very traditionally male and and it still is and it's very male dominated which means the products and services like particularly wealth managers for example you know i imagine you know that a lot of the products and and the language that they use is largely to appeal to men Male lens. It's the male lens, yeah. It's male lens, and and so women are, uh, you know, they're not flocking in their droves to go and invest their money in that way. Hand it over to a wealth manager or a financial advisor and just walk away. That's not the women's largely speaking, women's psyche. They want to know what is that? What's that money going for? Is it is it doing something to address climate change or female health or poverty or you know something? good with that money? And and how do I get involved? How do I, what do I, how can I learn about what this is? And so I said, okay, friends, I'm going to run a workshop on an introduction to angel investing, startups, venture capital, how it all works, because it became really clear to me that there was this huge gap in knowledge around, you know, what, what, how will that All those things interrelate, and how that also affects the businesses and services that you and I and the rest of the world use every single day of our lives. And so I started to run a workshop, and I had 450 women sign up to come. And I was like, oh, okay, there's some appetite here to know, to learn. And it was amazing because I took women from zero knowledge, and at the end of an hour session, some women were saying, okay, where do I invest? And it was just one hour. And that was my eureka moment. Women want to learn more. And there's nowhere for them to go for them to do that. And women have so much wealth, you know, they're holding a third of the world's wealth. And it's increasing specifically in Southeast Asia at such a rate. Um, And by 2023, it's projected that women will have uh, 93 trillion, um, which is just it's it's crazy. We have a crazy amount of wealth. But what we also have is we also have I think around 10% more of our wealth as individuals in cash in the bank compared with, women, compared with men. So meaning men are just investing more money more frequently um, and women are just sitting on it going back to that conservative point. But I also think it's not just that we're super conservative. I think it's that if no one's speaking our language and it's an inviting, welcoming place for us to go and invest then why wouldn't you sit on it in cash? So, so the idea behind my latest venture is I want to address the wealth gap that exists between men and women um, and increase our individual personal wealth b- by creating more female investors. And then the second part of that is to invest that money, to provide the opportunities and the place for people to invest into businesses and services that, people, that women really want to see in the world.
0: When you're talking about the wealth gap, you're not just talking about starting businesses or investments. You're talking about the personal wealth gap as well. So tell us a bit more about this gap. Let's go beyond businesses. Let's go beyond entrepreneurship and about this wealth gap they're talking talking about.
1: Yeah, so I think that um, two things spring to mind when we think about wealth gap. The first thing is that there's still a gender pay gap between men and women. And I think Mm -hmm. that that has been in place for so so long and I think it's just going to continue to take time and so if you think about it that if men are earning more money it makes more sense that they are investing more money which is in turn creating more wealth so it's a Uh, A vicious cycle or a great cycle for them. (laughs) And for women, we just, you know, we don't have the same amount of um, disposable income in the first place. So that's one challenge we need to address as as a society. But the second point is that I think that when men and women, when we're coming out of our formal education, and we're starting to work and starting to build our social networks and, and groups, I think that it's much more prevalent, much more common for men to chit-chat amongst their friends about investments and about deals and about their money generally Um, where you put this where you put that and I think that largely men are getting a financial education through their peers and I think that women just are not and when that starts at age 25 it just gets bigger and bigger that gap as we get older and older, because as you, you know, there's a, you, you've got the benefit, if you're starting small investments, or thinking wisely about your money at age 25, as a male, you've got the huge benefit of, of compound you know you've got many many years ahead of you to just continually continuously grow that and, and compound that whereas women i just think it's one of those conversations that we're just not having with our peers um in the same way so i think they're probably the two biggest factors that lead to the wealth gap that exists
0: mm, which is why we're doing this episode more conversation conversations to drive awareness so that people will talk more about it and therefore accede like, into their consciousness. Yeah. And then you also mentioned that you, you ran courses and workshops and then the participants had this moment where they realized, hey, you know, how do I invest? How do I start doing things? How do you take them from point A to point B? What's the process like?
1: That is a very, very interesting question because I think that, that the crux of that is the difference between what I can do at Sophia with women versus what traditional wealth managers can't do to attract women customers and, and clients. And I think that that is, I mean, number one, I'm a, I am a woman. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, it, it helps. Um, and um, I'm surrounded by women and I understand women. And I also, I also think that I have a great ability to one of my the things I enjoy doing. And one of the things I think I'm relatively good at is storytelling. And so being able to take women who are going from, let's say they're starting with little to no financial knowledge. So perhaps they've got a fantastic job, um, very successful. They are an accredited investor working at LinkedIn, but what what have they done with their money? Probably not a lot. And so the ba- you know the great level of education is already there. So ability to grasp concepts is there, but just nobody. There is nowhere for them to go to have things explained to them in a way that is very relatable in relatable terms. So how venture capital works, and and we're all guilty of this, right? We all go to, along to seminars and and things and people start throwing acronyms around and there's so many acronyms you don't know what, what we're talking about anymore we've completely lost the context or you don't want to ask what DBC means because you know everyone knows what DBC means so you can't ask that so it, it it's just it's a I don't want to say safe place because um, it sounds very cheesy but it's a place where you know, we can say DBC. I mean, DBC means absolutely nothing, by the way, in case you're wondering. <laughs> I made that up. Yeah. But, um, you know, it, we would we would explain.
0: What does DBC mean? I'm just mean? wondering if the listeners listening. okay, what's DBC? Yeah. I don't want to look foolish, so I'll pretend that I know. <laughs> I'll Google that. You know, this what happens, right? When you th- throw in acronyms yeah. and you're afraid to ask. Singapore
1: so, loves acronyms. Yeah, we love oh our acronyms. <laughs> Especially for COVID.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Um,
1: but, you know, it's about explaining things um, and not just... It's saying, well, DBC means, and then just throwing a whole nother bunch of words out there that mean nothing, mm. but actually saying, Well, it means this. And this is how you would relate it to, you know, considering a startup or thinking about an investment or, you know, and putting it in and people just go, oh, my goodness. Yeah, of course, that makes absolute sense. So it's not about dumbing down or simplifying. It's just about accepting that none of us got a great financial education at high school. I think the world over, we just skip this for some reason in our you know, in our education system. And we're expected to just learn this all as adults. And the reality is, is that a number of us just didn't. In fact, probably most of us just didn't. And so it's just dialing that back and saying, you know what, you're not expected to know all of this. So come along and learn. And we will take you through how do startups get started? How do they think about raising capital? Who do they raise capital from? And what does that mean? And then when do angel investors step in? Who are angel investors? Where does this money come from? How does venture capital work? And when do they step in? And when do angel investors disappear? And then private equity and all of these things that, you know, are very, it's a very easy concept to understand. But no one takes the time to explain that to people in a way that people can just get so storytelling is a great is a great way and i i was amazed by taking these women through this one hour course at the right i'm i'm ready now like, <laughs> okay this is this is an opportunity
0: okay so you've worked with female founders what advice do you have for female entrepreneurs Okay. A step on our experience a little bit yeah
1: yep yeah. so I I think about that from what's helped me the most and what I see where I see women founders having the most success and uh, a few things spring to mind one is is network and I think that men and women I think we touched on this pre- in a previous conversation but men and women are um, network in a very different way and I think that um, women are sometimes quite shy about building that network and asking for help and saying hey will you be part of my team my advisor or even just an informal mentor etc so, but but building your network of advi- trusted advisors and mentors um and potential investors etc having the right people around you is is where I think a lot of men succeed over a lot of women because we just don't do that and when I when I see women do that it makes all the difference to their to their overall success and chance of access to funding etc um now when I say trusted there are Everyone is a, is a startup advisor these days. Everyone wants to be involved in the startup ecosystem. It's very sexy. It's very, you know, it's hot. It's, it's where everyone wants to be because it's at the cutting edge of innovation and, you know, and it sounds cool to be an investor. So everyone probably has some advice for you. So my biggest advice to female founders is don't take everybody's advice mm-hmm. because I remember when I started out and everyone had a different view, right? Even just writing my pitch deck,
0: I remember
1: sitting there for months and months and months writing this damn pitch deck because every time I showed it to someone, they said, oh, no, 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 no. Do it like this. Do it like this. No, do it like that. And you go round and round in circles, changing your pitch deck every two days. Instead of actually trying to run your business, you're writing a pitch deck permanently. And in the end, I realized I just need to disregard all of this because it's just noise and everyone's got a slightly different way of doing things. So you need to pick very few but solid trusted advisors and listen to them and go with it. So that's probably one and two things I would I would suggest. Being bold. So I have a favorite quote that I put on all my social media posts and um I have it written on my whiteboard at home. But it's basically fortune favors the bold. Sometimes I change it to fortune favors the brave. It's a bit interchangeable but depending on the on the scenario. But you know, I think that women could afford to be a bit more bold in their asks. Their fundraising asks, their asks for people to be for people to be mentors, for people to, you know, ask for advice from. I think that we're always so worried about troubling people and annoying people and, you know, and wanting to do it ourselves. I think that we should be bold in what we ask for. Be bold in, you know, okay, we could probably scrape by with $100,000, but actually, you know, we need a a 1000000 Well, ask Mm. for a million.
0: Any tips on how to network and how to be bold? How do I step out to network? How do I step out to be brave?
1: yeah do you know what i don't think there are any shortcuts on this one and I'll give you an example so when I started out investing into female founders even though i'm very um, confident in what I talk about and i'm if you ask my friends they'll think I'm you know very confident when i Um, started to use social media, LinkedIn, for example, for posting for the business, I realized very quickly, if I just wrote a post that said, so this morning, I wrote a post about the New York Times article that I mentioned earlier. And uh, if I just wrote, here is the New York Times article about male and female investors and posted it, one person might like that. And interact with it. If I write a post that says, Oh my goodness, look at this New York Times article. I completely disagree with it. What do you think? I think this, 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 and this, and this is my view, and you know, it, and it might be controversial, it might not be controversial, but it's my opinion. It's something it's giving you and the reader an insight into my mind and the way I'm thinking about this article or this topic. And that is where people interact with, 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 that com- with that comment. So you could argue that that post was much more successful if I had 100 likes versus the one like of me saying, here's the article. But of course, that took me to get to a place where I had to get comfortable with my voice of putting that out there. Because what if I wrote oh, I disagree with this New York Times article. What a load of rubbish. And then 15 people posted, Tanya, you don't know what you're talking about. Oh, you're terrible. You know, let's cancel Tanya Rolfe. <laughs> uh, that's what I was worried about. And and I think that we're all very worried about things like that, putting ourselves out there publicly not necessarily just on LinkedIn, it could be in a in a room full of people where you've got to walk the room, etc. And the only thing you have to do is just take baby steps, is just do a post like using my example, is do a post with a very small opinion on it, you know, and not not particularly controversial and build that confidence up. Because unfortunately, We do have to be bold. We do have to walk into that networking room and have that confidence to walk around that room. But you can't just do that on day one. So set yourself a challenge. Okay, so I hate networking. There's a room of 20 people. I have to leave this room today with two business cards and two connections and two people in my WhatsApp, right? And next time I have to leave this room with four people, right? I don't walk in and I say, there's 20 people in this room. I'm going to network the hell out of the 20 people and I'm going to walk out and they're all going to be my best friends and we're going to go for breakfast tomorrow, mm. right? It's not realistic and it's too, that's going to give you some anxiety there. So it's about taking small steps towards that goal. So now you can read my LinkedIn post and you'll say, wow, she did find a voice, but it didn't come overnight. It took a year maybe of me kind of taking those small steps towards that comfort. Um, so unfortunately, the answer is you've just got to walk through it slowly, but surely.
0: Okay. Before we wrap up, any other tips for women in entrepreneurship?
1: <sighs> find your tribe, find your people, and don't think about you need to meet every single investor in under the sun. You don't need to inv- uh, meet every single advisor under their sun choose a small select group of people, stick with them, loyalty, and build those connections, deep connections with valuable, trusted people, I think would serve you well. And the last thing I would say, and something I've learned really the hard way this year, is that you reap what you sow. And I think that relationships are so important and treating people in the right way with respect, and um, even when you're like I said earlier even when you're delivering difficult news doing it in, in, in a respectful and eloquent way goes a long way and you just never know when you're going to meet people again so go through life kind of giving out what you want in return because I believe that that actually will serve you really well as an entrepreneur Thank you Tanya Thank you
0: Thank you for listening all the way here. Stay after this outro because usually we have some bonus content right at the end. It's like the end credit scene of a movie. But before that, I hope you've learned something useful today. If you like more of this content, join our Telegram group, follow us on social media, sign up for our newsletter. For all this and more, check out thefinancialcoconut.com. My name is Andrew. Stay tuned for the next episode of Chill with the Financial Coconuts. We do have three questions that we ask every guest. Yes to find out more about you so the first question is what is one of your core life principles
1: ah i just i just said it that was beautiful (laughs) that that absolutely is my core life principle i i sometimes it it tests me because i see people getting ahead who i think are not doing that treating people in the right way but i actually i stick with it and i think that that is, I'm comfortable. When I'm doing the right thing for people, not just for my own personal gain, I think that that comes back and serves me well in the end. Mm.
0: We also talked a bit about finances just now. So what is one piece of financial advice that comes to mind that you think should be shared more often? We hear financial advice all the time. We are finance podcast ourselves. What is one thing that you think, hey, how come people aren't talking about it enough? We should talk more about this particular advice.
1: Yeah, that's a good question i mean why aren't we educating why aren't we talking about this in our schools that's i i think my biggest question mark in finance why why when when are we supposed to learn about this and it would be like you know we're not going to teach maths we're just going to let you figure that out when you get to be an adult we're not going to teach you english like really i mean in fact it might be worse than not teaching us maths because um, we use our financial skills every day, or we should. And uh, the less money you have, the more financial skills you need. So that would be my, that's why I'm scratching my head. And one day I'm going to start working with governments and education teams to get this on the curriculum more.
0: Our personal finance one-on-one module is missing. Yes, for sure. <laughs> okay. Yeah. My last question for you today, what is one area of your life that you're giving additional focus to?
1: Oh, Personal?
0: Any area of your life personal? Yeah, let's talk about something personal maybe.
1: Um my health. Mm. My health, um, because I'm sat here with a broken foot. Um, <laughs> three weeks. <laughs> okay, I was telling me before sure. <laughs> um, I'm sat with a broken foot, but also I have been a victim of COVID, and not not in terms of I don't have COVID. Don't worry, don't panic. Um, in that I I have been drinking too much and eating too much and indulging too much, and so I'm now on a need to take care of your health. And also my brother in London has just become very ill. Um, and so health for me is super, super important. I've got two small children I need to be healthy for. So I'm uh, on a mission.
0: Mm-hmm. And we ask this question because you know, apart from finance, apart from business and all the money, money stuff, like, we also want to know more about, you know, what other areas of life do we pay attention to? Because it's it's all holistic, right? It's, yeah. it's all part of a bigger whole...
1: Yeah, but physical activity, I mean... It's difficult for me with my toe. I'm a cyclist and um, ah. it's, uh, it's been very tricky. Um, I, 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 when I was in the A&E recently, I said to the doctor, it was a joke, but I said to the doctor, he said, you need to go home now. Here's your crutches and here's your cast. And I said, OK, I said, but I've got a cycle. At, um, I've got a cycle ride at 5 p.m. Is that OK? With a very serious face. And he looked at me and he said, no, it is not okay. You cannot cycle for eight weeks. And I said, okay, I was joking, but okay. Um, I yeah, it it keeps my it keeps my um, the physical exercise keeps my mental health in shape for sure.
0: Mm. So for those listening, take care of your wealth, take care of your health, yes. take care of yourself. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Thank, <it> you. <laughs> Thank, <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Daniya.